according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me once again in Luke chapter 12 this morning. As always, our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in the uh, portion of Luke 12 from verse 13 down through verse 21 at the moment looking at the uh, the story that Jesus tells here about covetousness. It begins in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And this is what we introduced last week. We'll get back to it again here this morning. I think we can wrap it up this morning, actually. And uh, go through the parable. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Make sure that each believer priest is filled with the Holy Spirit, humble before the authority of God's Word. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word and the privilege that it is for us, the blessing. We don't deserve to be here today, Father. And yet You uh, so faithfully give us this opportunity. We want to redeem it to glorify Jesus Christ. We don't want to uh, dismiss it or minimize it as if it's uh, always, uh, always going to be here. We don't want to take it for granted. Father, it is a grace provision and we thank You for it. Father, I pray specifically as we examine the application here uh, in particular as it deals with money that each one of us can orient towards the eternal perspective that we understand where it is that we're laying up our treasure where it is that we are attached to things that we can't let go of and father i pray that you would use this message to uh, bring about our growth to the glory of jesus christ and i thank you in his most precious and holy name amen all righty we um I don't have my notes up here. Oh, well. Taught without notes before. I'll just follow the screen, right? <laughs> the, uh, if I can zip through part of what we did last week. In terms of riches, and it's kind of a neat label, the poverty of riches. Because the man was loaded financially in earthly money. He was so loaded, he didn't even have the, the barns big enough to hold all of his wealth, all of his grain, all of his crops. And, and yet he was poor. He was absolutely poor in, in spiritual priorities. As it says at the very end of this, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And there's two different scales of economy that you can look at there. There's the earthly scale and there's towards God. There's the heavenly scale when you're laying up your treasures in heaven. And uh, you can be as rich as uh, Bill Gates and uh, Michael Dell and these billionaires around the world and be absolutely destitute in the eyes of the Lord because you have nothing on deposit. Nothing's been stored up and you'll uh, arrive, assuming you're a believer, you'll arrive in glory uh, destitute with no gold, silver, precious stones whatsoever to your account. All the uh, wood, hay, stubble in the world is going to be burned up and you will be left um, Naked, as it were, uh, saved, yet so as through fire, with nothing, uh, nothing laid up on deposit. All right, we saw the beginning of this under point A, that a certain man from the crowd interrupted the Bible class. And I find it remarkable, what is it, uh, certain things that people find 
that take priority over Bible class. You know, what is it when push comes to shove? What gets pushed and what gets shoved? And why is it that Bible class always takes us a back seat to other things that are going on? Well, he wants his uh, inheritance arbitrated. He wants to get the uh, the will. Uh, he wants to dispute the will, which is quite amusing, given the fact that everything was laid out in the uh, Jewish uh, system to the point where there were no questions. There was no dispute. I mean, this is what it is, and this is what you end up with. No questions asked. Interestingly enough, he addresses Jesus as teacher or Assuming he was speaking Aramaic, he would have called him rabbi. And he wants Jesus to use his prestige, his rabbinical influence, to try to um, cause this brother then to voluntarily uh, offer up more than he really is entitled to. And, uh, and so that's what happens there. We saw that Jesus Christ wanted no part of that. As he says in verse 14, man... Anthropos, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus was very firm, almost rude. I mean, it wasn't disrespectful or vulgar, but it was very firm in the sense that that's not why he's here. Not his purpose, not his job. All right. He is not here to sort out these things. And uh, as I illustrated a little bit last week, I think you and I would do ourselves some huge favors uh, in the Christian way of life, if uh, if we can have a very clear job description of, of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And because I think a lot of churches get mixed up on that when they confuse the social gospel, for example, or the, the, when they confuse the purpose for the church. And there is such a, a nightmare ecclesiology out there that thinks the church is something that is not. And they're not fulfilling what the church truly is. So this verse may become a favorite of mine, I think. I mentioned I may even want to add it to my signature line on the bottom of emails. Uh, when you just start to figure out um, there are things I've been appointed to, there are things I've not been appointed to. My responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God among me, exercising oversight voluntarily, and not under compulsion, and eagerly, uh, All as, of course, First Peter 5 outlines there. Jesus, and by the way, keep that in prayer, would you? Um, I'm invited tomorrow, an all-day thing, and I hate giving up a day of study, but uh, there is a uh, thing for Texas pastors going on tomorrow, and Robbie Dean invited me to it. It's down near the Capitol, and the lieutenant governor and a bunch of state officials and political people. Anyway, it seems worthwhile, but it also seems dangerous because there's a crusader mentality on the part of some of these folks, the vision forum crowd and things like that, that think that somehow, uh, you know, we're marching to Zion and we're, uh, you know, onward Christian soldiers and we're going to make this country a better place if only we get more evangelical Republicans into office kind of a thing. Um, again, um, this verse is going to be on my mind. I'm not a marcher. I'm a preacher. I've got a, fo- I've got a flock to feed and that's what we're, that's what we're about. So pray for me because I, I, uh, I, I open my mouth a lot and that gets me in trouble. I want to just close my mouth and pray and hear what they have to say and and really consider what's going on. So he wouldn't take the role that wasn't his, but he firmly embraced the role that was his. Jesus faithfully executed the role he had been assigned. In other words, he is an uh, Old Testament prophet. He is a prophet, spirit-indwelt, spirit-filled, 
prophet of the dispensation of Israel, like Elijah, like Elisha, like Moses, like, uh, you know, I say like, greater than all of them, of course, but a prophet of that capacity that stands up and says, thus saith Yahweh, and rebukes where it needs to be rebuked. And he has to warn this man to beware of his greed. And so uh, we see it here in verse 15. He says, beware and be on your guard. Uh, the twin imperative there against every form of greed. Greed is so sneaky, we can end up uh, being overwhelmed by forms of greed. We don't even realize they're greed until you think it through and say, you know what? At the heart of that is just greed. We'll discuss that maybe in a little bit, but there's different forms and fashions. Some of it may, you know, the obvious robbery is put a gun to somebody's head and take his wallet. Okay. There are other forms of robbery that we don't think about, but it's still stealing. And uh, that uh, Christians do and don't even think about it. See, So we'll talk about that because it's a form of greed. So there are twin principles that are taught by the parable. The principles are to beware and be on your guard. And uh, the story here, which is the whole point of this story, and we've read it. Let's, let's read it here this morning so we're, we know what we're talking about. In case you missed it last week or you've never heard this story before here's the story he told him a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive and he began reasoning to himself saying what shall i do since i have no place to store my crops then he said this is what i will do i will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there i will store all my grain and my goods and i will say to my soul soul you have many goods laid up for many years to come take your ease eat drink and be merry but god said to him you fool this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. All right? This is the story. It's one that we know, we know very well. Uh, maybe we know it too well. <laughs> All right? We're so familiar with it that we overlook the point. The point of the story is this man is dying today and doesn't even know it. This is the man's last day on planet Earth. And he has no concept of eternity. He has no inkling of anything that's going to happen after death because he's so caught up in this life. And he's making all these plans. And what's he planning for? Yeah, basically he's planning for uh, retirement. Planning for uh, you know the, the point where he doesn't have to work anymore. Because he's been so smart about the work that he has done and he's saved and he's done this and so forth. And... Um, the, the objective in life is not to put yourself in a position where you have no problems. To put yourself in a position where you're uh, comfortable for the rest of your life. See, although that's, yeah, I'm, I'm practically quoting commercials here for a lot of financial planning companies, aren't I? You know, the whole idea is, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't make any friends with Merrill Lynch or some of these other groups and so forth, right? Because that's the motto here. You are working so that you can... Um, stop working. You're working for the day when you can say, okay, from now to the end of however long I plan on sticking around, uh, I'm good. I'm set. All right? I'm set. See? And, and people work towards that I'm set point where they can say, okay, I never have to work again. I'm, I'm comfortable for the rest of my days. Now, all that being, you know, if... <clears throat> caveat here, <laughs> not to make people mad or whatever. The Bible is not anti-savings. 
The Bible is not anti-financial planning. All right. You can go to Proverbs. You can go to lots of places to talk about look to the ant, O sluggard, and you talk about storing up. There is nothing unbiblical, sinful, wrong with any of that. Okay. And uh, you know, I don't want you walking out of here saying, "Ooh, you know, the pastor says my savings or my retirement is unbiblical." None of that. All right. None of that. Notice uh, storing up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the issue. You know, if you're earthly wealthy and heavenly poor you've had the wrong priorities all this time see and regardless of what your earthly economics are you should be heavenly wealthy it's available for every believer every single believer can lay up treasures in heaven every single believer can be rich in things of the lord okay i mean i'll be honest there's a whole lot of people in in temporal life that cannot be temporally rich okay they just can't. They can't handle it. And uh, if, if they did get rich, they'd be in a whole world of hurt. So God wouldn't let it happen in the, in the first place. Because God knows what we, can <laughs> what we can bear and what's beyond our ability to bear. And he says, oh, no, that person doesn't need any of that. Okay? Don't know who I'm talking about. But the, um, listen, now here's the thing. This, this passage, this parable is not about saving. But it's about what happens when you're beyond, your mental attitude is not the mental attitude of stewardship and responsible saving. All right? Responsible saving, there's a point to the accumulation of wealth. And what are you doing with it? Why do you have it? What are you using it for? And it's, we'll see here in these principles, it's to benefit the body of Christ. If God has given you a provision, it is not for you. It is for the body of Christ. See, and so we'll look at those principles and we'll see the point is not to get rich for its own sake or to use your wealth to accumulate greater wealth. What was ultimately the goal of having wealth? See, and then and the the wonderful thing is the principle is universal. The principle is true. If you got 10 bucks in your pocket, 100 bucks in the bank, a million bucks in investments, it doesn't matter. The principle is universal. And hopefully we'll we'll see that here. So this is what's taught in the story. But the story is, I mean, the principles, the imperatives are beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. That's the point you've got to get out of this story to make sure that you're on your guard, that you're not falling into a realm of greed similar to this guy where your orientation to the things and possessions of this world are, uh, I have what I have, I don't want to lose what I have, and I want more of it. All right? Well, what happens if God assigns you to lose what you have? He does that, you know. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Well, why does he do that? That's wrong. Don't take away from me. Who do you think you are? What, do you think you're God or something? Yes. And he will take it away. That's the whole point there in Job. So, we'll see these things. Now, principle number one is beware. And it's, uh, there's actually two parts to beware, because there's beware and be on your guard. Horata is the word to beware. And as I illustrated last week, it's more comprehensive than blepo. Blepo is where you you're beware, where you look, where you see, where you're on guard. But horao is where you see the whole horizon. You have your eyes wide open. Not only are you watching out, but you're taking a step back. And then fulaseta, uh, fulasesta there, is uh, the protection element here. Because you're while you're guarding against greed, effectively, you're protecting your soul. The soul can be damaged by greed. And so by being aware against every form of greed, you're protecting your soul 
from the uh, excesses of greed. And uh, we went into some of those scriptures already to show greed will train the heart to a terrible end. And greed works against the heart. So we're supposed to have a heart training in the Word of God. The Word of God is supposed to renew our heart. Psalm 119.36. And greed will work against that. We want the Word of God to create within us a clean heart. We want our, our heart to be attuned to the devotion and study of God's Word. Otherwise, our heart gets attuned to the greed. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's right. And so that's it's the, the aspects of greed are actually enslaving to the soul. Zoe life does not consist of possessions. Zoe life does not consist of possessions. If all you see, bios life, B-I-O-S, bios life. That's the one everybody thinks about. It's daily life. It's physical life. It's, it's, it's human life. So we get biology, right? Bios, logos. Bios is the life of humanity. It's the life of, of uh, making a living, right? Why do we even call it a living? You're, you're making a living. You're, uh, ra- you're raising your family. You're, you live, then you die. That's bios life. Believers have it. Unbelievers have it. Uh, the sad thing is, though, is believers ought to be living beyond their bios life and understand their Zoe life. That he who has the Son has Zoe, has life. Jesus Christ came that you may have Zoe, that you may have Zoe in abundance. That's the life. And the unbelievers don't have Zoe. Understand that. Only believers have. He who has the Son has Zoe. So Zoe life does not consist of possessions. Materialistic humanity must reorient to the immaterial. Now I went through all of those. The only one I want to re-highlight again is 1 Timothy 6 because it comes up early in the chapter then it comes up later in the chapter. And I think that's where we ran out of time. Did we look at those Ecclesiastes already? I think we did. 1 Timothy 6. 6 through 8 and then also later on verses 17 and following which will come up on a later slide. But it's good to be oriented towards why it is that God blesses with an abundance. And and try to take it beyond if if you're sitting here this morning and that's not your realm, all right? Then figure out what your realm is, okay? If God has not given you I mean, if God has given you a financial abundance, then this does directly apply, and you're going to want to learn the principles and, and apply them. But maybe your abundance is in other realms. Maybe you have an abundance of, uh, of uh, good cheer, an abundance of faith, where you can be an encourager to come alongside uh, the rest of us that tend to get gloomy here and there. All right? Maybe your abundance is not in finances. Your abundance is in cheerfulness, or your abundance is in... Uh, a giftedness for teaching, see. See, like my gift is a teaching gift. That's my realm of abundance. That's where the Holy Spirit has empowered me above and beyond any other giftedness in the, in the dispensation of the church. So, I want to apply this principle where uh, the, the abundance was not designed simply for me to hoard, to stash it in a barn or a bank account somewhere, or just to teach myself. I'm supposed to teach the flock. I'm supposed to benefit the flock. And that's true in every realm of abundance the Father has blessed you with. So happens in this application we're talking about finances. All right, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. See, church members get nervous when preachers start talking about money, right? They know there's a building program going on. And ooh, you know, 
pastor must be desperate for the money. None of that. Okay. We did have some interesting conversations, though, didn't we, Doug? In the deacons meeting and real... Absolutely. We continue to pray over those things. All right. First Timothy chapter six. Notice it says, uh, and this is a mark of a false teacher. You can usually spot the uh, the wolf and the fraud. They're not really in it to protect the flock. They're in it for themselves. And um, they're uh, verse five says they're of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. And we think about depraved mind. It's not always, you know, a fornication kind of depravity. Sometimes it's just simply a greed kind of depravity. And they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Yeah, you can work that religious racket and make a quick buck. And he says, you know what? Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. See, that's what this man in the parable didn't have. He had great gain. He had a bumper crop. He had a greater crop. And we'll see that today. The crop was actually just a one-year deal. But anyway, it was the best he'd ever seen. He got excited about it. And uh, yet he didn't have any contentment with it. That's the key going to have the biblical norms and standards god's attitude towards the wealth otherwise you don't have contentment the explanation of verse 7 we brought nothing into the world so we can take we cannot take anything out of it either and i mean that should be obvious but <laughs> some people lose track of that don't they you know he who dies with the most toys wins wins what well, not like you're taking any of it with you all right, and that's, I mean, I've, I saw all four of my children born, every last one of them. They were all buck naked, and that's, that's the way they're going. They're just not taking anything with them when they leave this earth. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. God's standard. How rich do you need to be in temporal life? Say, well, you know, I've got to have a certain income to maintain my lifestyle. I have a certain uh, standard of living and I have certain expectations and, and you can't expect me to, uh, to uh, you know, live less than that. Come on, that's, uh, that's not normal. That's not right. That's not, I, I deserve a vacation. I deserve, uh, you know, all these other things. Anyway, what I'd really like to do if I get the chance is, is uh, <laughs> take everybody with me next time I go to the Philippines and introduce you to some wonderful brothers and sisters that live in a cardboard box and have dirt floors and I uh, love the Lord and all the rest. And, and my son will tell you, this one place we went, and they didn't have floors. They just had the, the earth underneath and, and uh, never met an American. And all the excitement, this was the highlight of, of I don't know what. And the grandfather sent the boy up the coconut tree out back behind the house. And he cut down six coconuts and came down. And that was their gift to us. Amazing. Amazing. Well, those, verse 9, 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. You say, well, what's wrong with being rich? Nothing wrong with being rich if that's what God has provided for you. But the desire for it for its own sake, see, the, the real issue is I want to be in the plan of God. I want to be in the plan of God. And that means uh, my career, my where I live, what I do, the money I make, the, uh, everything needs to be according to His will. I want to be in His will, not I want to get rich. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And we, anyway, we recently taught this in First uh, Timothy. Glance on down, though, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. 
They have particular snares. In fact, it's harder than the adversity test. Not to be conceited. Snare number one. They think that somehow um, they're pretty special for what they've earned, what they've deserved, what they've worked for, what they've done. Aren't they the smart ones? They sacrificed. They saved. They made smart decisions. They, uh, they uh, well, maybe they did. Who gave them that, those smarts? <laughs> who, uh, who provided for them to be in that kind of a position? So don't be conceited. Or fix their hope in the uncertainty of riches. Your hope is not in the riches. Your hope is in the one who provides the riches. Because uh, as, as we said already from Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I think a lot of folks have riches, though the riches of this world, and it's on paper really. And, uh, paper doesn't last. But fix their hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. See, here's the other factor in, into it. Without the contentment, they have what God's provided, but there's no enjoyment. Because all they want then is to protect it, to keep it, to not let anybody take it, to not lose it. Say, yeah, right before uh, this class started, I got an email from a lady, a uh, Christian lady, uh, mother of one of the scouts in Bob's Boy Scout troop. She got to work this morning and found uh, her salon had been robbed. The, the glass doors were busted out and someone had gone in and robbed the place, so... Hope to find out this afternoon how much damage was done or what was lost or what was taken and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm glad it happened at night. No one got hurt or anything. But still, I mean, it's a shock when you show up and, you're, and your door is gone and or the glass that was in the door is gone. And, and who knows what they took or what damage they did. But that's the world we live in, right? Thieves break in and steal. Moth and rust destroys. So... Um, he richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And how do you enjoy? How do you enjoy what He gives you? Being thankful for it. Making use of it. Utilizing it for the glory of the One who provided it in the first place. Sharing. It's a way to enjoy. Remember, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So have you received an awful lot? I'm sorry you're not more blessed. Okay. See, isn't that interesting? We use the term blessed... As a synonym for what we've received, right? We've received a lot of money. Man, you were really blessed. No, not as much, because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So actually, my blessings were diminished because I received so much. Now, if I start sharing more of it, then we can say, now I'm blessed. Now I'm blessed. Notice, uh, instruct them to be good, to be rich in good works. See, just because they're earthly rich, they're not really rich. Rich in good works, be generous, ready, ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. If all you're doing is live an earthly life, that's not even life. Life indeed. And so, uh, well, how do you store up treasure in heaven? Generous and ready to share. Those are the good works. And, and like I say, maybe your realm isn't the financial realm. Make your own application. What is it you have an abundance of? What is it that God has made you wealthy in so that you can be a blessing to your fellow believers in Christ? And be willing to share. All right. So let's look at the parable itself. Details on the parable. Point one. So if you're keeping the outline, E, this emphasis is main point seven, and we've been going A, B, C, D underneath that. Point E is the parable. Details on the parable. 
A rich man's Korah, his field, his farmland, experienced euphoria. Ever wonder where the term euphoria comes from? It's a Greek word. He has a Korah, C-H-O-R-A. And a Korah, um, actually this is fairly common in the Roman world, would, they would be urban dwellers. They would have a house in Rome or a house in the largest city, and they'd be involved in political life. But then they would also have an estate, uh, a farmland, an orchard. They'd have some kind of agricultural uh, residence. And generally they would put their slaves out there to work it and bring in the income, and they'd go out there uh, at different times. Anyway, so this man has a cora. It's not a very common word, but it's a farmland. It's a In Texas we'd call it a ranch or something, right? He's got... He's got agricultural investment property is what he has. And it's bringing in income. In fact, this year it's more than it's ever done before. It experienced a euphoria. Euphoria. comes from the verb euphoreo, only used here in the New Testament. It is an aorist active indicative. The aorist tense is the punctiliar tense. I think this verb here is communicating the punctiliar nature of this fertility, his land's fertility. The land of a rich man was very productive. Okay. We don't know how long he had the land, but evidently he gets all excited over this one particular crop. An amazing. Are we going to get excited about one uh, particular season of prosperity and get excited about a short-term provision and start counting on it being always going to be there, right? You know. All right, point two. The rich man claims to have no place for his storage, yet we observe in the very next verse he does have barns. He has multiple barns. Look at his gripe in verse 17. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? No place to store my crops. And yet, when he comes up with his plan in verse 18, he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. Now, wait a minute. He has a place to store his crops. He has barns. Not only does he have a place to store his crops, those barns are already full. Even before this crop came in, these barns were full. So, he's whining when he doesn't have to be. (laughs) Right? We're learning exactly what kind of uh, Scrooge McDuck, this guy really is, right? Well, I don't have any place to store my crops. <laughs> like an irresponsible child or something. Oh, I don't have anything to do. I'm bored. There's nothing to do. Really? I guess you don't have any toys then. Let me go throw these away. Oh, don't throw those away? You really do have something to do then. How about that? <laughs> Where do these stories come from? I don't, I don't know. I probably I, I watch TV. Maybe I see movies. Yeah. Okay. But isn't this the nature of greed? Greed destroys your perspective. Greed can look at multiple barns and, with a straight face, say, "I don't have anything. I have no place to store my goods." 
Greed just fundamentally alters perception of reality. See, the truth is he has some place to store his goods. He has goods stored. He has all that he functionally needs. Uh, you know, this abundance, this excess could be shared, could be given away, could be somebody else's whose barns maybe aren't full at the moment. But see, the idea of maybe sharing never comes to his mind. The, 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 even the, he can't fathom the idea of somebody else having what's his. And, and that's why at the very end here when it says, who now will own what you will prepare? See, that really is the, is the indictment on this man's soul. When he asked that question, who will own what you have prepared? He was all about what was his. And the idea of sharing with somebody else, that's, that's just not crossing his mind because these goods are his. He owns them. So, um, you know, when, you, when you're all wrapped up over what you own, you've lost track of who owns you. And Jesus Christ says right here, your soul is required. Do you own yourself? Do you own your body? Do you own your soul? No, you've been purchased. God the Father says all souls are mine. And those that have been purchased are especially His because those are the ones that He purchased and gave to His Son. All souls are mine, God the Father says. And so you don't own. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. That's body and soul. All right? Body and soul. Anyway, this is uh, beyond what we were looking at. But... um, I think that contrast between verse 17 and 18 is is just funny. Well, kind of funny, sad, not funny, haha, but funny, sad, because he says, I have no place to store my crops, and yet he's got barns that he has to tear down so they can build bigger barns. Shows you the disorientation that greed can bring about. The man's dissatisfaction with storage capacity reflects the core issue of greed dissatisfaction with storage capacity dissatisfaction with storage capacity reflects the core issue of greed because what is a barn anyway what is a storehouse what is a you know shed out back i mean it's just a place to store stuff right it's the stuff you're not using now, again, there's, there's legitimate reason to store. We have that Joseph stored for seven years during the times of, of, uh, uh, of abundance so that he would have reserves on hand for the seven years of famine. Okay? That's biblical. But the idea that, um, that when you have reserves, I mean, what, what are reserves for? People, you see, people create these rainy day funds, but they're, they're mislabeled because they have no intention of ever using them. In their, in their universe, it never rains. You know, they would never touch it. They would never use it. They would just, it's just there to make more. Okay? Dissatisfaction with storage capacity. See, it's not, this man's not hungry. He has food and covering, but he's still not content. Again, his objective, we see soul, verse 19. He talks to himself a lot. Did you notice that? 
He asks himself questions in verse 17, and then he makes up his mind and tells himself what he's going to do in verse 18. And then he talks about what he's going to tell himself when that day comes. So you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Many years to come. You know, what, uh, what is your uh, reserve in savings? What is it that you can, you know, if you lost your job today, you know, what kind of reserves do you have and so on and so forth. And when, and when you get to the point where you can retire, when you can stop working and, and uh, you know, whatever your retirement and your savings and your pension and all this other stuff, at what point, you know, are you going to live on 50% of your previous salary or 75% of your previous salary or what are you going to do and your uh, different things? Anyway, but his goal is to take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Right? Because, I mean, after all, that's what life is. Life is just one big party anyway, right? So take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. There's nothing in here about supporting the ministry of the Word of God. There's nothing in here about uh, glorifying the God of Israel or providing an offering to... Uh, and this is in an Israel context, so uh, an offering to the temple. Or There's nothing spiritual in this. It's all about eat, drink, and be merry. It's the Ecclesiastes mentality. It's like uh, men prepare a meal for enjoyment. Wine makes life merry. And money is the answer to everything. That's how people live. And sadly, that's how believers live when they're not oriented to divine viewpoint. Dissatisfaction reflects the core issue of greed. And um, this is where I think ministries need to have their priorities in place. This is where... um, and, and uh, it helps when you have a, a grace-oriented deacon <laughs> for a treasurer. All right. But, um, you know, I've known of ministries that have uh, amazing reserve accounts that they never touch, never use. And, and, I, and I'm not criticizing. I'm just observing and wondering, say, is it, uh, at what point is something that's, prudent and necessary then become does it cross the line into more than necessary to the point where you know we we have to have all these reserves and all these investments and all this other stuff and because of that we only support you know half the missionaries that we could support otherwise right you know at what point do you say you know what we could lower our savings reserve and double what we do to every missionary we support we can add additional missionaries we could you know bring on uh, an assistant pastor on board we could i mean think about what you can do that's the difference see the 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 operating capital where you're actually using what you have versus holding what you have all right and at what point and i think you know you have to answer this in your own uh, individuals before the Lord and ministries before Jesus Christ, you have to determine at what point uh, are you glorifying to Jesus Christ and at what point are you stepping beyond that, see? Anyway, that's uh, what we're dealing with. So pray for the deacons. I mean, we're talking about that. We're talking about our funds and what we're doing for a reserve and what happens, you know, if the giving drops off and we have to pay for this mortgage and, and different things like that. And, and the whole thing just struck me the other night and I thought, you know what, we've got the, the, the total mortgage, the total note 
of debt that we that we signed for. The total, I mean, the the, the top amount is is small in the big picture of things. I mean, it seems like a lot until you realize it's smaller than a lot of houses <laughs> that that church members are living in, and you say, well, hmm, what are we really doing? Dissatisfaction with storage capacity. As I've already said, greed destroys capacity to identify sufficiency. The mental attitude of greed is never sufficient, is never content. There's no such thing as sufficient to that way of thinking. There's never, there's never enough. Greed destroys capacity to identify sufficiency or be content with sufficiency. There's, the barns are full. You want to build bigger barns? The barns are full. And you spend all your life pursuing bios. You have no wealth in heaven. No wealth in heaven. See, I can't remember the exact details, but I remember a man that... I don't remember what it was now. John Eichmann told this story years ago. I remember now. I was younger than Bob when he told that story. But about a guy that... Um, oh, I'm going to tell it all wrong. But anyway, he... Uh, he was a fairly wealthy guy, you know, but, but he was a Sam Walton kind of guy. I mean, he had bucks, but he didn't live like it. I mean, he just lived simply and modestly and so forth. And he could have afforded a, a whopping house with all kinds of square footage and all kinds of this and all kinds of that. But he chose, now I'm not going to tell the story right, but whatever it was. You know, he sold a, a $600,000 house and bought a $200,000 house and had 400000 left over and built a church with it kind of a thing, saying... And that's the that's the the illustration for and then the numbers are probably all wrong. It doesn't matter, but it's not my story anyway. It's John Eichmann's story. Get him down here to tell it. But the principle is: at what point do you say, you know what? This is sufficient. This is not sufficient. And what am I really doing? Greed destroys the capacity to identify sufficiency. If the barns are full, what do you do with the excess? Somebody else has some barns around, I'm sure. Somebody else didn't have the crop you had this year. Greed destroys capacity to share with others. You never have enough. And since you never have enough, you can't share anything. Because you don't have enough. Capacity to share with others. Because greed never sees an excess. Greed never says, oh, I have enough. I, 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 I can't give you. I'd like to. Man, I know you, you got this... Pretty tough, but I, sorry, I can't help you. I'm, I could have built bigger barns. <laughs> well, at what point? At what point do you identify, why, why is God giving me this abundance? Should I be doing something with what God's giving me here? At what point? Temporal thinking must reorient to eternal thinking. It's the fourth principle. Temporal thinking must reorient to eternal thinking. If all we're thinking about is uh, eat, drink, and be merry, if all we're thinking about is temporal life, what are we living for? What are we living for? I don't know what your workplace is like. I mean, I know what mine was like when I, not not here, but my previous work in the 
sheriff's department. Everything was geared towards the weekend. Everything. And so, of course, Monday was the big kind of bummer day because it was the first day of the week kind of a thing. But there was one advantage to Monday. Monday, what you could do is you could come and share with your coworkers your adventures and all the great things you did and all the, you know, conquests and all the other things. I had some pagan coworkers. And their, their, their definition of successful weekends basically was proportional to their fornicating. All right. And so Monday, you know, Monday was rotten, but at least you could show up and kind of relive the, what, what you remembered of your drunken weekend. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, you know, hey, hump day, we're getting close. And the Thursday, tomorrow's Friday. And then, man, and Friday was so awesome because, um, you know, you, you couldn't wait to get started. You weren't even going to go home first because you brought your change of clothes with you, and as soon as you're off the clock, boom, you're you're launched into the launched into the uh, the weekend, living for the weekend. What is that? Living for temporal life, living for um, you're going to reorient to eternal thinking. Why are we here? And uh, you know the the folks that try to uh, the financial planners and folks that try to talk about you know long term investing and over the course of your life and all of your you know diversified portfolio and all this other stuff and yeah you want to uh, at some point you got to figure out what you're going to do when when uh, you're, you're too decrepit to crawl back into the pulpit and teach another Bible class what are you going to do with, at, at that point see. Uh, so we're not minimizing retirement, but if all you're doing is thinking 20 years down the road, 40 years down the road, your thinking is too short. What are you going to do in 10,000 years? What are you going to do? Are you thinking eternally? Are you laying those treasures up in heaven? Years of security. You're going to trade that for eternal security? Years of security. He thinks he's secure. For many years to come. Really, how many? <laughs> how many? You know, how long does it take for life savings to be wiped out? Overnight, yeah. That's right. And, and maybe, okay, so let's say you do have goods for years to come. That's only on the present scale of inflation. What happens if inflation goes to 6 million percent? You read about what's happening in Zimbabwe these days? I mean, they're, they're, they keep slashing zeros off their currency because everybody was billionaire and, and there was nothing. When I was stationed in Germany, I had made some friends with some old Germans and um, a fellow named Arthur. He, uh, I'll never forget Arthur. Arthur was great. But Arthur had some currency from the, from the Nazi era. And showed me a one million Deutschmark uh, banknote had Adolf Pic- uh, Hitler's picture on it and everything. It was one million Deutschmarks. I actually held in my hand a million Deutschmarks. Want to know what it was worth? Nothing. An entire wheelbarrow of those could, might get you a loaf of bread, maybe. Absolutely worthless with the hyperinflation and everything else that was going on. So, what is what is years of security? Years of security. You know, days. How about living day by day? Today is a grace gift. All right? Again, we're not denigrating uh, financial prudence. We're just saying, 
put it in the right perspective to where it does not come at the expense of eternal destiny. The purpose for wealth is not for eating, drinking, and merrymaking. The purpose for wealth is not for eating, drinking, and merrymaking. And we already went through the verses there in verses 17 through 19. Instruct the, those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to place their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but to place their hope in God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Why has God, uh, if, if you have an abundance financially, why has God put you in that position? If you have um, abundance in other areas, why has God put you in that position? If you, if you find that you have a, a real talent or a real giftedness in this particular area, why has God made you that way? What does He expect you to do with that? Because when you realize that God has a purpose for what He's done, did He just do it on accident? Did He just, oh, you know, He did it because He liked you so much? <laughs> so, oh, man, I would have to, this person's just really, really special. I want to I just make them rich. Why? In all that he's provided. See. Well, it's to be rich in good works, to be ready to share. It's to make use of that which God has supplied. God has supplied so that you can make use of it. Not so you can have it, so that you can use it. I think that's a big difference. So, um, I mean, this was, to me, and maybe that's why I'm so um, passionate about the whole idea. Because to me, this was the very concept, this was the very um, doctrine or principle um, when the hand of God's discipline started to boot me upside the head and, and get me out of a couple of stupid years in the 1980s. And I started to realize, wait a minute, I didn't grow up like this. And my roommate said, no, I didn't grow up like this either. And why am I even saved? <laughs> why am I even saved? It certainly wasn't to do this kind of stuff. Why am I saved? And not only why am I saved, but what does God have for me? And so it kind of coincided with the very uh, the first inklings of giftedness and the first concept of maybe being a pastor at some point and then wondering, oh my goodness, have I disqualified myself already? Am I, I'll probably never be a pastor now because I'm such an idiot. And then why did God provide a gift why did god uh, it wasn't just to to do the stuff i was doing clearly so this this concept god gives he provides not so you can have so that you can use see all right what's next is this it no there's got to be more greed see i don't have my notes i'm just kind of seeing what shows up on the slide greed is foolish and selfish, and it sadly fails to give glory to the one who provided the wealth in the first place. Is there anywhere in here that this man is praising God for being so glorious, praising God for being so faithful, giving God the glory? Where, is he offering up his first fruits of anything? Is there anything spiritually minded coming from this guy at all? No, there isn't anything. That's why Jesus calls him a fool. I try to use this verse in a lot of weddings that I do. Because I tell the guy, I tell the groom, you know, you can provide an income and you can build a house and you can give your wife the finest clothes and the finest, I mean, everything in the world and be a failure in your marriage. 
Let me go back to Luke chapter 12 here. It's foolish and selfish. Of course, the term you fool is pretty blatant. Um, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself. There's the selfishness. It's for himself. See, it's mine. Right? I got mine. It's mine. That's the selfish attitude of greed. And it sadly fails to give glory to the one who provided the wealth in the first place. What I love is 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It's, it's a rhetorical question. It's a sarcastic question, in a sense, but it's rhetorical. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? All that you are, all that you have is grace. If you want to deny that, deny that. But you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with the Scriptures. And... Um, I've, I've gone round and round with folks and, well, no, no, I made, I made smart decisions. I sacrificed. I invested. I, other people were squandering. They were, they were being stupid. I was being smart. All right, so you were. Who gave you those smarts? And, and maybe you made right decisions. They, who, you, uh, they could have been wrong decisions. You invested in this and the stock went up. Great. Is that because you're so smart? So, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who regards you as superior? Again, that's the arrogance and pride. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Just know it's grace. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. You worked hard all those years, huh? Good thing you had the health to do that. Isn't that amazing that you weren't uh, born a cripple or you weren't uh, hurt in an accident or that you didn't lose your job or, or all those other things? Imagine that. You actually were able to work all those years. See? You're starting to understand how grace in action operates. But quit bragging about what you've done. See? So many people are singing to themselves, be the glory, great things they have done. That's not what it's about. All right. Well, we're four minutes early, but that's the, that's the slideshow. Any questions on that? Any thoughts on that? All right. The next week we'll come back. We'll do the next emphasis, which really is a, is a uh, continuation because it moves on beyond the parable, but still shows you that contrast and bringing in the, the message he gave in the Sermon on the Mount about not being worried about what you will eat and, and so forth, seeking first the kingdom of God um, and the things that happen there. So we'll... we'll take you from 22 to 32 in the uh, in the next emphasis but that'll be next week lord willing in rapture pending thank you father for the truth of your word thank you for this time today thank you for providing uh, and you do provide father exceeding abundantly beyond all we could ask or think we keep looking to you to provide father as we move forward in our building program as we move forward and father uh, every obstacle the city tries to throw our way every obstacle the um, the engineers are throwing our way Father, it's all in your hands. We just leave it with you, trusting that you will take us where we need to be in, uh, with your provision and your timing. And Father, if there's anything that we're doing wrong, anything we're doing uh, that's of ourselves, Father, crush that. Move that off to the side and make it very clear that you're the one that's providing. It's not, uh, it's not what we can afford. It's what you can give. And that's what we're looking for, Father. And we thank you for that. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.